All right. So, so thankful uh, that you guys are here tonight. Uh, thankful that we get to start um, that we get to start our our kind of sermon series. Um, so let me go ahead. Actually, so a couple of announcements. So last week, uh, let's see, you guys did what was last week? Last week was the ladies' small group hangout, wasn't it? All right, how, ladies, how was that? Was that awesome? And guys, you had no idea what was going on. <laughs> You're just it's like, I don't know, just things are happening. All right, so guys, don't worry. Uh, so on the weekend that the women of the church are going away for women's retreat, that's when the guys are going to do their small group hangout. So that's coming up the first Friday in October. Um, maybe another announcement to share with you guys is that we have a baptism service that's coming up uh, in November, and there's a baptism class that's coming up for that. If you're interested in getting baptized, you have to take the baptism class and kind of talk through what baptism is and just kind of clarify what that looks like here at Lighthouse. So I mentioned this last year uh, when the last baptism service came around, but if you're a Christian and, and you haven't been baptized yet, this is one of the things that God calls us to, to in obedience to him, that we get baptized in order to, follow, to declare to the world that we want to follow Jesus. And we talked a little bit a couple, you know, like a few months ago about some of the objections we sometimes feel about getting baptized at Lighthouse. Did that just, oh, this is kind of coming in and out? So one you know, thing might be, oh, I don't feel ready to get baptized. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm, my life feels like it's kind of a hot mess, and I feel like I'm not completely, you know, following Jesus with everything I have, and I'm waiting to get spiritually ready, and I want to kind of be at a certain level of spirituality before I get baptized. And I want to assure you that that's not what baptism is for. Right? Baptism is not for those who have achieved some level of spiritual perfection, and only those guys can get baptized. Right? Baptism is for imperfect sinners who are working on it, and just have, but have decided to follow Jesus. And so if that's you, then I really want you to consider getting baptized and signing up for that class. Um, so yeah, so those announcements hopefully kind of clarify some of the stuff that's coming up. Uh, let me go ahead and pray for us, and we're going to get started uh, with our study tonight. Let's, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that we get to be part of what you are doing here at this church. And um, it's just a silly thing, God, even to be able to uh, play Bible charades and, you know, to act out some of these characters and stories and moments that many of us here have known for a long time. But it is a really wonderful reminder, God, that for so many of these young men and young women, they have grown up in an environment where the things of you and the things of your word are commonplace and uh, are familiar, and they know your word, they know who Jesus is, and to even do something like that is a testimony to your faithfulness in their lives. So God, I pray that now as we turn to your word again, that you would help us, um, that you would help us to stay awake a little bit better than Eutychus did, but that you would give life nonetheless. So we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you guys, uh, how many of you guys have met my wife, Jamie? Have you guys met her before? I'm rather a fan. I, I kind of like her. Um, so, so her nickname is James. So her, her family, ever since uh, she was a little girl, always called her James. The other nickname she had was, was Poop. But you, it's probably more appropriate now to call her James. Um, and so for those of you guys who don't know, I met, I met Jamie. I met James when we were uh, freshmen in high school. So for some of you freshmen out there, I was your age when I met my future wife. Put that, I know, Mason is like, right? Um, and, and so I've known her for, I don't even know the math now at this point, for well over, you know, two decades uh, of my life. And I, I can barely remember a time when I haven't known her. And I feel like over the time I've gotten to know her, there's some things that I've really come to like. There, so if you met her, there are probably some things that would be really, really clear right away. I think, um, I think she's really cute. That's just me, you know? Um, 
But beyond that, if you just talk to her at all, I feel like one of the things that would be really clear is she's a really nice person. If you ever talk to Auntie Jamie, she's just a super nice, really kind, really thoughtful person. Um, but if you spent a little more time with her, you come to realize a few more things. She's very good with her words. I think she's a much better communicator than I am. And I'm supposed to do this for a living. Like sometimes she'll say something, and I'll be trying to wrestle with how do I explain this thing to my kids or how do I, do I work through this thing? And she'll just say something and she's like, that is so brilliant. I can't believe that just came off the dome for you. She's so good with her words. Um, that's maybe not the most interesting thing to you. Um, but she is also a fantastic cook. She loves food. And one of her favorite food items is noodles. So she is definitely team noodle. How many of you guys would prefer noodles and how many of you guys prefer rice? Who's team noodle? Team noodle? Okay, so Jamie would be very, very pleased. Who's team rice? All right, all right. Team bread? I don't know. Is that a team? The subversive team, right? Um, okay, so Jamie is all the way team noodle, and she's converted me to it. But one of Jamie's favorite things to do, and if you get to know her at any level, you've come to realize this very soon, but one of her favorite things to do is eat noodles late at night. Like, so she gets the munchies, like, probably around, like, 11.30, 12, 1 a.m., and she really, really wants noodles. And so we've kind of developed this tradition, right, where you make late-night noodles. And not just, like, fire up a pack of instant ramen. Sometimes we do that. But it could be, like, I have a whole list of, like, pastas we do. We do these Asian noodles. It's just kind of this thing that if you ever know Jamie for any amount of time, Late-night noodles are her jam. Uh, kind of along with that, just staying up late in general, she is much more of a night owl than I ever am. So she uh, can just work and work and work and work at night forever. And, uh, and there were some things that, so I was just always ready to go to bed, you know, as soon as the sun went down pretty much. And so Jamie would keep staying up and keep working. And one of the things that she would do constantly, uh, especially in early marriage, was baking at night. And for years I realized I never saw her bake during the day, like a vampire, some kind of baking vampire. She would only bake at night. And she would, you know, start, you know, you know, the butter at around, like, I don't know, 10 p.m., you know, preheating the oven around 11. And I remember asking her, like, why in the world do you bake at night and not during the day like a human, right? And she was like, is this battery dying? I don't know. We'll see what happens here. Okay. Um, and so she's always baked at night, as far as, as long as I can remember, okay? Um, and so I've known this about Jamie forever. You know, I've known her now for, let's, see, let's really do the math here. So I was 14 when I met her. I'm 39 now. What is that then? 25 years. Thank you, math teacher. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Chow. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I've, I've definitely, uh, I've known her for 25 years. And as much as I know her, as much as I love her, I, I will tell you, that this James is my second favorite James. She's not my favorite James. My favorite James is the book of James in the New Testament that we're going to spend the next few months studying. Okay? And for the next several months, we're going to spend some time getting to know James. And just like if you sat down with Jamie and really understood who she is and what she likes and what she is passionate about, hopefully in our time studying the book of James, you're going to see what God wants in this letter. Uh, I think this is one of the most powerful, practical, important letters that any Christian could read, but particularly for you guys in the season of life you're in, I think that the book of James is going to be remarkable and life-transforming if you would approach it with a humble heart. And so today, what I'd like you to, what we're going to do is we're going to start off our studying the book of James just by looking at one verse, 
James chapter 1, verse 1. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1 and just this first verse. And we're going to meet James and get to know him a little bit. So James, it says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. That's what he says. He says, hello. And so in letters today, for us, in, in, in English, right, if you're going to sign, if you're going to indicate who the letter's from, you've got to read through the whole thing first, and then at the very bottom, oh, it's from this guy, right? But in these ancient Near Eastern letters, it was commonplace for them to write the, the, the author of the letter and the recipient of the letter at the beginning. I think it kind of makes sense. I'd like to know where this comes from and who it's for. And so we were told that this is from James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, to, and is written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, and he says, what's up? Greetings. And so I want to just kind of explain a little bit who James is and why are we studying this letter. And so there's a couple of different le- levels I think you can understand James as. Okay, first is James the little brother. Okay, James the little brother. So James, right, actually shows up in other parts of Scripture, and we know a little bit about his family. He had a really famous older brother in the Bible. Can you, does anyone know who James's older brother was? Was that? J- J- Joseph Chow? Okay, JC, he says. Yeah, anyone, 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 anyone know who his brother was? Yeah. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. So there are a couple Jameses in the New Testament. There's like James, the brother of John, right? But then this James is actually the little brother of Jesus. So you know how Jesus came to be, right? So the Virgin Mary was um, miraculously made with child through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And so Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. But she was married to Joseph. So eventually they had their own kids. And James is one of those kids. And so James is like Jesus' little half-brother, okay? And so just imagine that for a little bit. James is Jesus' little brother. What would it be like to have Jesus as your older brother, the perfect older brother, the flawless older brother, the older brother who never made a mistake, always did everything your parents ever wanted you to do. James, take out the garbage, right? Your brother Jesus always does it so nicely. Like, just imagine how annoying that would be. How would you feel about this perfect older brother as you were growing up? And then later on, what happens is that your older brother Jesus starts to talk and express this, this idea and convince people that he is God. And you've grown up with this guy for like 30 some odd years. And all of a sudden, he starts to claim that he is God himself. And initially, James and the rest of Jesus' biological family, they didn't believe him. Can you imagine being in that situation? I think we kind of would do the same thing. Right? If one of the guys you just grew up with all of a sudden came up to you and said, Oh, by the way, I'm God. It's like, you know what? You're a little crazy. So that's exactly what they said. In Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 22, we're, we're told that his family, they, they've seen him teaching and doing all this stuff, and he says that they go to get him. He says he is out of his mind. They think that, you need, that Jesus is bananas. He is absolutely bonkers town crazy, okay? And so James, the author of this letter, for much of his life, thought that Jesus was a lunatic. He was absolutely crazy. But 10 years later, after he says that he is out of his mind, he calls his own brother in this letter the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes from calling Jesus a lunatic 
to calling Jesus his Lord. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that there was a moment when the resurrected, glorified Jesus, after he had been died, raised from the dead, and he had ascended into heaven, he actually reappeared before James, his brother, and all the other apostles. And at that moment, we're led to believe that James believed that for all these years of doubting and not believing his brother, he finally recognized who he was, that he was the Son of God. James went from calling Jesus a lunatic and went to calling him Lord. And in a lot of ways, that's what happens when you become a Christian. No one comes into the world instinctively thinking, you know what, I really want to follow God. I really want to follow this Jesus person. I really want to be a Christian. Every person comes into this world a sinner and not interested in the things of God, turning away from God. And at some point, at some point, God has to do a miracle in that person's life to make their eyes open to the fact that Jesus is real and his gospel is real. I think that might be the case for some of you. You know, I think, you know, I joked, I prayed about it a little bit in a kind of a joking way, but the fact that you guys all knew all these stories that we guys did for Bible charades, I mean, you guys have grown up, many of you have grown up in this environment. You have, you know, you know, read the book of James on your own. You've known all these, these Bible stories for your entire life. And Jesus may feel like someone you've just grown up with. He's just kind of part of like the furniture in the room. You know, just like one of the things that you have in life. But you don't maybe take him that seriously. You kind of sort of know he's important. But there are probably some times when you're tempted to think, you know, I think he might be out of his mind. That's crazy what they're asking me to do as a Christian. And what has to happen is there has to be a moment when Jesus shows up in your life and you begin to realize that he is real, that the demands he makes on your life are real, that following him is better than you ever possibly could have imagined. I was, um, through a series of weird events, um, I found myself reading a, bio, a, a testimony biography that Leighton wrote on the WACF USC website. Don't ask me how I got there, okay? Um, and it's like, oh, there's Leighton. He's all cute and stuff, you know, in college, college Leighton. And he was just sharing his testimony in this, um, in this little blog that he had written. And he was describing how he grew up in the church. And he grew up with Christian parents, doing all kinds of Christian things. It was honestly a life a lot like a lot of yours. But he didn't think he needed Jesus. He felt like he just, you know, was kind of fine in his own and ultimately could kind of decide life on his own. And he was at a camp, and they were singing a song, and he said, it wasn't, I don't know, it didn't sound like a particularly dramatic moment, but he said just like something happened and just clicked to him that he was a sinner in need of grace and that Jesus was real and he needed to follow him. And I think that's kind of what happened for, for James. I mean, for James, Jesus really showed up in, in, in an incredible appearance, but in a very real way, Jesus showed up in Leighton's heart and he became aware of the fact he wanted to follow Jesus. You know, what is that going to be like for you? Was there a moment for you where Jesus became ultimately real and you wanted to follow him? And for some of you, where Jesus is just the furniture in the room, like, that's something to pray for and desire. It's like, God, I don't honestly know how I feel about all this stuff sometimes. But if you are real, you need to change my heart and you need to show me that Jesus is real and better and I want to follow him. So that is James, the little brother, Okay. Another way to look at James is James, the leader of the church. So in Jesus' ministry, he dies, right? He rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. And he leaves behind his apostles 
to start and establish the church. And over time, James not only believes that his brother is God and has died and has been resurrected, but he ends up becoming one of the major players, the, the major leaders in the church. In fact, I think he becomes the biggest leader in the church. Um, there is a, a story in the book of Acts, in Acts 15, where James is at this big meeting with all these um, kind of the head Christians at the time, the Jerusalem Council, and they're trying to decide something really important about how to deal with Gentiles that want to become Christians. And after Peter and Paul and Barnabas, like these awesome guys in the faith, after they all speak, James stands up and he says, listen to me. So this is now a person who has stepped into a role of a leader. So he's gone from being someone who just thinks Jesus is a lunatic uh, to, to proclaiming Jesus as Lord, and now he is a leader in the church. And so James is a younger brother, he is a leader in the church, and he writes us this letter. And so what is this letter that, is, that James has given to us? We look at James the letter. This is where we spend most of our time. So as the leader of the church, James writes this letter. We call it the Epistle of James. And he says that he writes it to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Okay, so what does that mean? So Christianity, right, was spreading from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the news of Jesus dying and being raised from the dead was going out into all the ends of the earth, and Christianity was grabbing hold of Jews, the people of God in the Old Testament that God had made all these promises to. They're hearing that the Messiah has come. So James is writing this letter to Jewish Christians who realize that their Messiah has finally arrived. And there are 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. In the nation, um, and so they've been scattered all over the earth. This is the dispersion. They're dispersed all over the world. And so James is writing to this dispersion of tw the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would have taken this letter. They would have read it aloud in their church. They would have copied it down. They would have sent it to other churches. Now, why does he write this letter? Okay, if you walk away with nothing else, this is what I want you to walk away with. The book of James is a call to wholehearted Christianity. Okay, the book of James is a call to wholehearted Christianity. That is the blood that runs through the veins of this letter. As we're reading this letter every week, as we study this book together every week, I want this to be the lingering thought that's in the back of your mind. James wants me to live wholeheartedly for Christ. With every aspect of my life and everything that I do, I want to be totally committed to Christ. I get the idea of like wholeheartedness from some of the ideas in James, but honestly, one of my main, main inspirations for the idea of wholeheartedness is this book. Um, if some of you are young enough, you definitely remember the day. You guys have this book at home? Your parents read this to you? Halfway Herbert? I love this book. Okay, it's written by Francis Chan. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. We do want to show you some stuff here, all right? So Herbert is this little boy, and the thing with Herbert is he does everything halfway, right? So half of his hair is all messed up, half of his hair looks good, half of his shoes are untied, and half of his shoes are tied. He's, you know, what is, yeah. So everyone calls him halfway Herbert. He's, this is not, maybe I'm going to read this whole book to you. This is not because his house was halfway in California, not because his dog was half bulldog and half poodle. It was because Herbert did everything halfway, Halfway, Herbert never put his whole heart into anything. He never really tried. Something was missing in Halfway, Herbert. And some dramatic events, you know, unfold in Herbert's life. I'm going to spoil it for you. You should read it on your own. But he ends up meeting with his dad. And his dad 
gives him this counsel. He says, Jesus doesn't want us to love him halfway. God doesn't want us to live out of just half our hearts. He tells us this in the Bible. That's the book of James. The book of James is this exhortation for you not to live out of half of your heart for Jesus. It is this exhortation for you to give the entirety of who you are, the entirety of your heart, the entirety of your life, and commit it to Jesus Christ. The heartbeat of the book is really in chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, go ahead, skip ahead to chapter 3. And I'm just going to read verses 13 to 18. And I want you to see the dangers of living out of half of your heart. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we're not going to go fully on into this passage, but James here is saying there's two types of wisdom. There is the wisdom of the world, and there is the wisdom of God. By wisdom, I don't just mean, you know what, maybe if it's raining outside, I should get an umbrella. That's not what wisdom is in the Bible. Wisdom is knowing God's word and living out God's word. It is living according to the truth of what God has said in his word. That is what wisdom is. And he's saying there's a wisdom that exists in the world that is not godly wisdom. And if you choose to follow it, the end result is going to be bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. It, is it was earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There's jealousy, selfish ambition. In other words, if you decide to live for worldly wisdom, your life is going to be a hot mess. But instead, if you live for the wisdom that is from above, that God's wisdom, if you commit to doing things God's way and put the whole of your being into following God, your life is going to be awesome. It is going to be pure and peaceable and gentle. You're going to have a harvest of righteousness. And what James is going to be arguing is you cannot live for both. You cannot live according to the world's wisdom and God's wisdom. You must choose. It is impossible for you to live out of half of your heart. You must give the entirety of your heart over to the wisdom of God and following Jesus. So why are we going to spend the next several months, the, a lot of the school year, studying this book? It's because as Christians, we are always going to be tempted to be divided in our hearts. And there's nothing worse than being divided. When I was... Uh, uh, probably in junior high, I was playing on two different basketball teams. And I don't know how this happened, but the two teams were in the same league. I don't know why they let me do that, okay? And eventually it happened that the two teams I was on were scheduled to play each other on the same day, okay? And so I had to choose what I was going to do. And I, I vaguely remember deciding to play for both teams. So one half, I played for one team, and then the other half of the game, I switched jerseys and I played for the other team. That did not go over well with anybody. 
that was not anyone's ideal way of me playing basketball. Now, thankfully, I sucked. It wasn't like I really helped anybody out there. It was, I was, I was you know, equally damaging to both teams, let's say. Um, but you look at the situation and think, like, how in the world is that going to be possible? Like, if you're going to play on a team, you're on one team. Like, you're trying to score in your basket. You're trying to defend the other team. You're trying to pass to your teammates. It's just the most idiotic thing to imagine playing for two teams. But we do that all the time. We do that all the time when we're trying to live for the wisdom of the world and we're trying to live out of God's wisdom. And James is going to be confronting us and saying, it can't be that way. It has to be wholehearted Christianity. If you're a Christian, what it means is that you're supposed to be wholehearted with everything that you do. As we go through the book of James, we're going to see different examples of areas of life where we're tempted to live out of half of our hearts and we need to be encouraged to live wholeheartedly. And so in the book of James, as you're reading through it, so here's my challenge to you. This is one of the easiest books in the Bible to read. It is so fast, it is so easy, it is so colorful. There's so many illustrations, it's so vivid. I would really encourage you to read this book regularly. Like, I think it'd be amazing if you read this book once a week. It is that short. You could easily do it once a week and just have James in you as we're studying this book. And as you're reading the book of James, like, one of the first things he's going to talk about is you needing to live wholeheartedly for Jesus in how you respond to trials. Right, trials, and we're going to talk about this next week, trials squeeze you. And whatever comes, whatever is inside of you is going to get squeezed out. That's what trials do. And what they should reveal in us is a wholehearted commitment to Jesus. And instead, oftentimes, our temptation in trials is to try to live according to our own wisdom or the wisdom of the world. And James is going to tell us, no, the way to survive and even thrive in the midst of trials is to follow Jesus with all of our hearts. He's going to teach us how we need to be wholehearted in how we receive and hear God's word. But, like, you have heard so many sermons and so many Bible studies and so many lessons in the course of your life. And James is going to tell us, you need to be wholehearted in receiving it. Because sometimes you hear some things that are read, that are taught in Scripture, and you say, yeah, it sounds great. And other times you might look at some stuff and say, ah, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if I can get on board with that. It's like, okay, I'm really going to work hard to apply this thing, but ah, the other thing that someone said, I don't really need to think about it. That's unacceptable, James is going to say. We need to be wholehearted in our commitment to hearing God's word. What about our speech? James is going to talk about how our speech is a reflection of our hearts, and our speech can show our lack of commitment to God because you can be singing praise songs to God or talking about God here, but you might be using speech elsewhere to gossip, hurt people, insult people, curse, and defame the name of Jesus. You're gonna, we're going to be encountering how, Jesus, how James is going to correct us and how we deal with our relationships. And he's going to confront this temptation we all have to show favoritism. Right, that there are going to be some people that you just instinctively want to elevate and draw, have all this attention towards, and there are other people that you say, you know what, I kind of don't want to deal with them at all. And, Jesus, and James' argument is going to be that if you love God with your whole heart, then you will love everybody with your whole heart. Another thing that James is going to confront us with is how we think about ourselves and our plans for the future. Because the world tells you, you, know, you can decide for yourself who you want to be. You can decide what your future is going to be. And James is going to confront you and say, no, you don't get to decide. You will be wholeheartedly committed to whatever God says your life will be and whatever God, whoever God says you will be. 
These are all things that James talks about because he knows that we're tempted to be divided. In the end, we have to choose between two ways to live. You're either going to choose for Jesus or you're going to choose to live for something else. And so the question that I want you to be asking yourself as we're studying the book of James is, are you living wholeheartedly for Jesus? And in what areas of your life are you divided? Uh, did any of you guys follow the news this week about the alien announcement from Mexico? Did you guys hear about this? So, of course you would. Of course you would, Elliot. This is, all, this is your jam. So there was a congressional announcement, you know, from the government in Mexico where they pulled the, the, the curtain back on the alien research that they had been doing, okay? And their scientists unveiled these alien corpses that had been in their possession, and they had been kind of mummified and desiccated, and they unfurled this box, and sitting there in this, like, velvet-lined box is this tiny alien. Actually, actually, on the back side of your notes, I think I put a picture from the press release there, okay? And their scientists... And so their scientists are looking at this thing, and, and they've been, and apparently the Mexican, these Mexican scientists have been studying it, and they said, you know, it, they, I think their exact word verbiage was like, like, the DNA results have shown that this does not match any evolutionary direction that we can find on any life that we've seen here on Earth. And they carbon dated it to be about 1,000 years old, okay? And so the internet is like, like, what the heck? And some of you guys may have been aware, like, this, in our government, there's all this news about, like, you know, UAPs and UFOs and stuff like that. And so the internet's, like, blowing up, right? And, um, and so sometimes you just, you just got to wait a little bit for the dust to settle and come to find out that this particular alien specimen had been debunked several years ago already. And, and some of you guys, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, my life is so much simpler without aliens in it, right? And so it turns out that as you look at this thing, number one, look at this thing. It is like straight out of the movie E.T., okay? The most uninspired alien design ever, all right? And beyond that, when they actually, they showed like, they showed x-rays of this thing, right? And that kind of freaked people out because there's like bones and stuff in it, right? And, um, and they said, oh, and, but it's, you actually look at the bones, they're all weird. And it's clear that like the bones don't match Right, whoever assembled this thing, what they kind of did was they took like, I don't know, like, like this part of your arm and then this part of your arm and they put one on each side. So if you look at the x-ray, it doesn't quite line up. Um, they looked at the bones and like their hands and they were all oriented in different directions, right? So like, you know, these weren't symmetrical. Um, they kind of looked at some stuff and some, some biomechanic specialists were like, you know, it couldn't walk. There's no possible way this thing could walk. That's not how physics works, right? Uh, and then they looked at the skull, and they figured out, you know what this is? This is actually a llama skull that has been cut in half. And so if, what they did was they, they cut the llama skull in half, and they turned it around. And so the front of this alien skull is, is actually the back of this llama skull, okay? And so once you look at this thing, and the other thing, too, is that these scientists are complete hucksters. They're, they have been you know, involved in weird scams and all kinds of stuff for a long time. And so as soon as people that actually kind of know what they're talking about came out of the world and said, oh no, there's nothing to see here, it got completely debunked. Because they looked at the evidence of what actually was there. It doesn't matter if, you know, some scientist in Mexico says this is an alien, but if you look at it and look, for what it for, look at it for what it really is, it really debunks that claim. What James is going to do is he is going to take your life, hold it up to the light of his letter, and say, you claim to be a Christian. 
and based on what is really there in your life, will that be debunked? On the evidence of your life and the way you live your life, are you wholeheartedly committed to Christ? Or are you just a bent out of shape llama skull, dead in a box? So my hope is that this is actually going to encourage you in your faith and not discourage you. That you're going to see that the better life is the one that is spent not living out of half of your heart, but the whole of your heart. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how clearly it speaks. I'm so excited uh, to look into this letter uh, together with my friends here. I pray, Father, that you would allow them to live the entirety of their lives, the whole of their lives for Jesus that there wouldn't be any part of their life, any facet of their life that they're willing to compromise in, live out of the wisdom of the world, but instead that they would see that your wisdom is always better. I pray, Father, that as we catch up in our small groups and talk, you give us humble hearts to examine ourselves. I pray, Father, that many here would have that moment that James did where you would show up in their lives and that Jesus would become real to them in a very tangible way. So God, would you bless us as we split up into our small groups and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, guys. All right, so we'll go ahead and slip into our small groups, and we'll wrap up at 945, okay? And that's when the junior hires will come out.